Today could be construed as the Ides of September. That construction could turn out to be faulty. A little research might help with this foundational first line of this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, but that work is usually reserved for the body, and not this header, which likely did not make a goal. I'm Sean Tubbs, and it turns out that September 13th was the Ides of September. On today's program, the Charlottesville Planning Commission specifies why they feel roads to be built as part of Zero East High Street do not comply with a comprehensive plan. The Charlottesville Police Department is using license plate readers to assist with investigations, but insists that the use is limited and data is not collected. Charlottesville is one of several 5th District localities using federal funds to modernize infrastructure. Albemarle and Charlottesville are launching an effort to plan for climate adaptation together. The Virginia Department of Education has released the latest school quality profiles, and the Charlottesville Planning Commission takes action on a special use permit at 1709 JPA. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, are you interested in a climate-friendly, family-friendly way to replace short car rides? Have you heard about e-bikes? Wondering what kind might be right for you? Join Livable Seville on Sunday, October 8th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Tonsler Park in Charlottesville for a fun afternoon with lots of e-bikes owners you can talk to and several types of e-bikes you can take for short test rides. Everyone is invited to their e-bike demo day. Registration is recommended. To learn more, please visit livableseville.org. Thank you for that shout out and let me know if you would like to try to get one too. The appointed body that advises Charlottesville City Council on planning matters has adopted a resolution stating more clearly why they do not feel that two public roads proposed as part of a riverfront development are consistent with the comprehensive plan. If this sounds familiar, the commission held a public hearing last month to determine whether the general character and approximate location of proposed trails and roadways were consistent with the comprehensive plan. Seven Development has filed several site plans for a new complex that would see 245 apartment units constructed above the floodplain of the Rivanna River. Staff had made multiple denials before the Planning Commission discussed the matter on August 8th. This time around, they had to take a final step. Here's Carrie Rainey, the city's urban planner. Virginia Code requires that the commission communicate its findings to city council indicating its approval or disapproval with written reasons for its decision. That had not happened on August 8th, and a resolution laid out the will of all but one of the planning commissioners. The planning commission got legal advice on the matter in a closed session that began their day on Tuesday. City Councilor Michael Payne was not present for the closed meeting and had a question. What would be the process in terms of after Planning Commission takes a vote? What happens after that? City Attorney Jacob Stroman said there have been two appeals from the developer. Given the timing constraints of the Code of Virginia, we would anticipate um, recommending that Council take up uh, both appeals at its first meeting in October. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg was not present on August 8th. He said he did find that one of the two roads would be consistent with the comprehensive plan because it connected to public trails that would also be provided. He voted against the reaffirmation. 
Another loose thread at 0 East High Street is an appraisal of the property commissioned by the City of Charlottesville in February. That work is complete, but has not been shared with the public. The Charlottesville Police Department has set up an email address to take questions from community members who want to know more about a new tool that officers are using. Here's a section from a press release sent out by the police department this week. With the association between our stolen vehicles, shots fired calls, and homicides, we have identified the Flock license plate recognition system as a proven tool to assist in deterring and solving crime. The website for Flock Safety states their systems can help eliminate crime. According to the release, the department will be notified if specific vehicles are picked up by one of the surveillance devices. These can be stolen vehicles or ones flagged in an amber alert. The release claims that data collected will not be kept for additional purposes. The still frame images captured are strictly for official law enforcement purposes only. In most cases, captured data will go unreviewed and will be automatically deleted in 30 days. The executive director of the Police Civilian Oversight Board will be responsible for auditing the system to make sure it is not used for facial recognition, personal identification, and traffic enforcement. CPD will also conduct a monthly review of its use. If you want to know more about the system and would like to ask some of your own questions, the email is flockinfo at charlottesville.gov. A series of meetings will also be held to answer questions. It is now 22 months to the day that President Joe Biden signed the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, which is intended to fund projects across the entire nation. Since then, localities in Virginia's 5th Congressional District have been awarded $19.2 million for projects. That's according to an interactive database and map unveiled by the National League of Cities intended to track how the money is sent. Here's a section from a press release sent out on Thursday. This map represents $13 billion in direct infrastructure funding awarded to local governments for investments in resilience, safety, and clean energy, as well as roads, bridges, public transportation, and other infrastructure that are used by more than 97 million people. Charlottesville has received $7,120,650 for a project to modernize the infrastructure for the distribution of natural gas under the safety category. The city of Lynchburg's public school system received $9.875 million for a clean school bus program from the electric vehicles, buses, and ferries category. The Lynchburg Economic Development Authority got another $500,000 for brownfield projects, as did the city of Danville. These came from the environmental remediation category. Elsewhere in the 5th District, Charlotte County Public Schools got $1.185 million for their Clean School Bus Program. The biggest project in Virginia to be funded through the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law is $49.6 million for Washington Dulles International Airport. The database does not include grants won by cities in collaboration with other entities, according to the press release. Both Albemarle County and Charlottesville have individual climate action plans that have been approved in recent years. 
Today, the two localities have launched Resilient Together, a new initiative to indicate how the two localities work together to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and prepare for climate mitigation. Here's a press release that was sent out by Albemarle County. Locally, we are experiencing longer, hotter heat waves, more destructive storms, wildfire smoke, and invasive pests. Scientific projections show these challenges will increase in the coming years and decades with implications for our community's health and well-being. With assistance from the University of Virginia, Resilient Together will take 18 months to develop complementary resilience and adaptation plans. You can sign up on the website for additional information or consider attending a project kickoff at Carver Recreation Center on September 26th. Earlier this month, the Virginia Department of Education released the latest in what they call school quality profiles for all jurisdictions in the Commonwealth. In my work for the 5th District Community Engagement Newsletter, I noticed that media outlets to the south did reports on these. I haven't seen any from the northern section from this region. Education is not one of my primary beats, but I have shared these links to the reports in the newsletter because I think they might be of use to some of you. I'd like to come back to this later, and I didn't want to get anything wrong, which is why I just put up the links, but the links are there. Take a look, and uh, maybe this begins uh, education coverage. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, WTJU 91.1 FM wants you to know about the Charlottesville Albemarle Black Business Expo coming up on September 22nd at the Ix Art Park from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. This year's Black Business Expo includes an exhibition of booths operated by Black-owned businesses, three panel discussions by leading professionals, a business pitch competition, live music entertainment, and more. Acclaimed reggae artist Mighty Joshua headlines the event starting at 7.30 p.m. Newly formed Charlottesville supergroup Afro-Asia opens at 6 p.m. Learn more about the event at blackbusinessexpo.org, and there is still time to register as a venue. Thank you to WTJU for this shout-out. One more segment to go today, and then on to the next ones. If City Council approves a new development code later this year, the land use process will be very different. There will no longer be public hearings for special use permits for additional height and density, though they will remain for requests to have some commercial uses in residential neighborhoods. There are still, for now, special use permit requests and rezonings pending, And this past Tuesday, the Charlottesville Planning Commission held a public hearing for 1709 Jefferson Park Avenue. Matt Alfley is a planner with the city of Charlottesville. The applicant is making these proposals as part of a request to redevelop the property and replace the existing eight-unit multifamily apartment building with a 27-unit multifamily apartment building. Under the process that has been in place for decades, that use requires a special use permit for the additional height and density, as well as reductions in setbacks, as well as a reduction in parking requirements. 
The Planning Commission also conducted an initial review of the site in their capacity as the Entrance Corridor Review Board. They recommended to Council that the project would not have an adverse impact on the Fontaine JPA Entrance Corridor, but not before learning what will be removed from the site. Jeff Werner is the city's preservation planner. Uh, currently on the site is a four-story brick apartment building built in 1972. Uh, the building set back about 66 feet from JPA. Um, available records indicate no buildings on this site prior to the existing apartments, uh, and there is no historic designation associated with the site or the building. Staff recommended additional screening on the section of the building that faces Montebello Circle, in part because major changes are expected in this area in the future land use map and the comprehensive plan. The JPA corridor is anticipating is anticipated to go through a significant change in the coming years based off the stated goals of the plan. These goals include more intense mixed-use development within five to eight-story buildings. Under the city's existing affordable housing policies, the developer would need to build three units or pay into the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. Here's Kevin Riddle of the firm Mitchell Matthews Architects. The owner prefers a fee in lieu uh, to satisfy the affordable housing contribution. We realize the city is currently reevaluating the fee method and amount as a part of a potential new ordinance. Um, however, the draft ordinance is still a work in progress. However, Riddle did point out that there would be no density limits underneath the new zoning and stated that there was a proposal to go even higher than what's allowed under the draft zoning map. CX-5 stands for Corridor Mixed-Use 5. Uh, the proposal is now that what is called CX-5 on this map would actually go to CX-8. City Councilor Michael Payne went with CX-5 and pointed out that under the new ordinance, the project at 1709 would not have gotten more than five stories without an affordability bonus. He also suggested the project could use the new method for calculating that payment. I understand the situation you're in, but for Planning Commission and City Council's deliberation, continue to um, have a lot of heartburn about the future land use map being a justification for approval with right. being selective about what is in it and excluding the affordable housing uh, height bonus as well as the inclusionary uh, zoning. During the public hearing, Ellen Contini Marava of the JPA neighborhood urged the Planning Commission to hold the building at five stories arguing that the applicant was not fully complying with the intent of the comprehensive plan. This application is another example of how developers are scrambling to exploit the current special use permit process to add height and density to their projects that go beyond what current zoning would allow by right without having to include any affordable units, which they would have to do if the proposal for inclusionary zoning are implemented. Mo Vandesample, a University of Virginia graduate student in economics, urged the commission to recommend approval. My rent currently takes up more than half of my monthly income. Charlottesville's tenants are being choked by a lack of adequate supply. And at the end of the day, that's all it is, supply and demand. After the public hearing, different commissioners weighed in. Commissioner Philip D. Ronzio said he was not concerned about a couple additional stories of height given the project's location. I, I do tend to agree that um, density period is going to is is going to pull on the affordability issue, as one of the speakers said. You know, the more units you have closer to the university, 
the tighter that is, and that also tends to relieve pressure elsewhere. Duranzio said he was satisfied with the applicant paying into the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund. Commissioner Kareem Habab was not. Going with the cash and loot option always gives me heartburn, and I'd prefer if, always prefer if the units were actually provided on site. Other commissioners were fine with the payment in lieu. Here is Hosea Mitchell. The uh, payment in lieu, I think, is ideal for a, this part of the city, but I don't think it's enough. I would like to see more. I'm not sure there's anything we can do about the amount right now. The commission voted unanimously to recommend that council approve the special use permit and added a condition for a continuous sidewalk on Jefferson Park Avenue. They also recommended approval of a critical slopes waiver. There is currently one vacancy on the planning commission and council could make an appointment on Monday. But that's the end of the Friday edition, and there will likely be a Saturday edition of this newsletter and podcast, because there's a lot to get to, and many of you are paying me to get the work done. The vast majority of stories here are free, but there is a paywall for some to encourage you to kick some funds in. Several of you have done that this week, and I am so grateful to you, and I will be sending you each personalized thank you notes. I am behind in this particular part of the job but really want everyone who subscribes how much I appreciate you taking a look at this work as often as you can and sharing it with people you think should know it. The internet company Ting will match the initial paid subscription because they want to help build community too. That's going to apply whether you contribute at the $5 a month level, the $50 a year level, or the $200 a year level. And with that, you get shout outs. And thank you very much for everybody for listening and goodbye. Do a tick tock, 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 do